you speak to us. Lord, the things that are from me, I pray that, Lord, they will fall to one side. But the things that you want to say to us, Lord, Lord, I pray that you would speak to us and transform us. Lord, we want to look more like you, Jesus. Lord, we want to serve you with greater passion. And we want to serve you with greater effectiveness, Lord. So I pray that some of the thoughts that we have this morning will take us in that direction, I pray, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Great. Okay. Let me just make sure I've got the hang of this thing here. That's brilliant. Okay. Didn't want to do that, really. Giving my game away. Can I go back now? This is not going to go back. Right. So I noticed this new device that I've, we've got here that I'm trying to work with. That's it. Awesome, really. So I've given the game away now. So, you know, I feel a little bit like a new boy in the block. I haven't spoken since the beginning of January, have I? So, um, you know, it's been good to be having different voices and stuff, isn't it? So, um, uh, and today I wanted to just um, to uh, just have at least one more set time when we think about that idea of how we share our faith. Um, it was great to have Stephen uh, Norris with us the other week, wasn't it? And just to share something of his story and uh, and... Some of the principles that he, he gave to us, I found it really quite encouraging and inspiring how just, you know, he was obedient to God and just outworked what God had said to him. Uh, and, you know, some of the things that he talked about in terms of helping us to think about how we share our faith and, and that sort of stuff, I found really, really helpful. Um, and so I wanted to just talk a little bit more about that. You know, I've said the two things that I felt at the beginning of this year that I wanted us to think about and talk about. One was hope that we start the, 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 the year with a sense of hope and expectation. And we thought about how we grow hope. And I hope that that's been, I hope that's been helpful. <laughs> it doesn't sound like contradiction. But so, um, and, and then also I felt like we need to just be thinking a bit about how we share our faith and, um, and that, that commitment to, to that. I know we are in a season of transition. And I know that, you know, June this year I'll be, uh, you know, I'll be stepping back, and at some point we'll have a new leader here, and, and I hope we are all praying for that process. Um, but the vision of God transcends all of that, doesn't it? What God has in his heart and in his mind uh, goes beyond any transition that we have. And, and one of the things that I am absolutely convinced of that will go beyond any leadership that I've had to offer here is the call of God for us to be a community that help people discover Jesus. Um, that, uh, that the call of God, the command of God even, to, to help people find Jesus. And I believe with all my heart that one of the things that we as a church are particularly called to do is to help people that would struggle to fit in church because they feel that they don't fit in church or, or because that, that we are called to, to do that. And we've done it quite a lot over the years and, and I think that we're called to do it again in the future. So whether that's me or anybody else leading it, I passionately believe that that is... Um, and, and the reason I can be passionately believing in that is because I think it is what the Scriptures say to us. <laughs> and so I want to think a little bit about that today. And I want to start with this little question, you know, what does an evangelist look like? You know, one of the things that people say is that both Christians and non-Christians share is a dislike for evangelism. <laughs> you know, Christians hate doing it and non-Christians like, hate having it done to them. Um, <laughs> and I hate that whole expression, doing evangelism. I mean, what is that all about, really, doing someone? You know, I, I spent a lot of time in East London, and if you do someone, <laughs> that's not something that really is pleasant. So, you know, the idea of doing evangelism, I wonder, really. But, um, but anyway, let's just start with this first question, shall we? So when I say to you, um, what does an evangelist look like? I wonder what comes to mind straight away. Let's, let's have some... Sorry? 
Billy Graham. I knew somebody would say that, yeah. Anyone else? It's probably what everybody thought, wasn't it? You know. Um, somebody is mad about their football team being the best team. <laughs> yeah, right, okay. He talked to Alan. <laughs> yeah, right, okay, yeah. So does football come into this? But yeah, so what God has done in your life. So somebody who likes to talk about what God has done in their life. Brilliant, okay. We will come back to this question in a moment, but I'm guessing the first thing that most of us thought about when we think about an evangelist is the Bible thumping, standing on the street corner, Billy Graham, stadium filling, you know, sort of person, you know, um, J. John probably in more modern terms, but somebody that is big name, big event, something happening. Um, and of course, that is one approach, I guess, really, we could say. One um, thing that we might want to talk about when we think about um, evangelism. But Peter, in 1 Peter chapter 3, um, we see this. Always be prepared to give an answer for everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. See, we are all called to share our faith, but some people seem particularly good at leading people into a relationship with Jesus. We call them evangelistic, don't we, or evangelists. I mean, the reality is that we are all called to share our faith, don't we? You know, I'm not particularly that good at it, to be honest with you. Um, you know, I'm, I'm, my gifts are stronger in, in like leading church and in teaching and stuff like that. But, but when it comes to, I'm not, you know, we, we went out prayer walking. You know, we, when, when I was involved with the prayer walking that Bill and others have been organizing, you know. Um, and Wendy and I would go out and do it or whatever. And, um, and then we went out with Jack one time, you know, Jack who, who lives with us and... and um, now, Jack's much more on that evangelistic sort of end of the spectrum. So by the time we've, we've come home, Jack has been talking to somebody on the street about Jesus just as we're out prayer walking. It's really annoying. I have to say, it's really annoying. It's just good at it, you know. Um, if you give us, you know, Henry, uh, I mean, he's another one, isn't he? You know, I've spent ages talking to somebody about the Lord or whatever, and he'll spend five minutes with them, and he's leading them to Jesus. And I'm thinking, ah, oh, that's annoying, you know. Or is that just me who <laughs> gets like that? You know, just some people just seem really good at it. But that doesn't abscond me from some sense of the responsibility of helping people find Jesus, does it? You know. Um, and so today I want to think a little bit about different ways that um, that works out for different people. Um, but before we get there, excuse me. Sorry about my, I sound like I've got a cold. Well, I have got a cold. And I'm a really rotten granddad because I've just given it to little Naraya. Oh, that wasn't a big enough R. Oh, come on now. Oh. <laughs> Next little granddad gives a two-week-old baby a, a, um, a cold. Eh? But anyway, so um, just a couple of thoughts then before we get stuck into this, really. So I want us to be thinking a little bit about what does it mean to be evangelistic or how does that work out in each of our lives. But two sort of thoughts I want to share with you because I love this quote from William Booth. William and Catherine Booth were the founders of the Salvation Army. Um, and in its original day, when we think about Salvation Army these days, we will generally think about like lots of social action and what, don't you? But, you know, in its, in its origins, it, wow, what an evangelistic movement. Um, they saw miracles and all sorts of stuff taking place. Um, and born very much out of their hearts. And William Booth said, if I thought I could win one more soul to the Lord by walking on my head and playing the tambourine with my toes, I'd learn how. 
I'd like to just be able to play the tambourine with my hand, let alone with my toes, you know. Um, and, and so, um, but what you're seeing there is really, I mean, I know it's a bit silly, but you're seeing passion, aren't you? He cares. For him, it really matters. And I feel that the most significant prayer that I personally ever pray around evangelism, about this whole realm of, uh, of, of helping people discover Jesus, is, Lord, let me care more. Let me be bothered. Do I really care whether my next-door neighbor finds Jesus? Am I really dis- bothered about their eternal destiny? Am I really uh, bothered about whether somebody finds that Jesus walks with them in this life, in the here and now? Do I really care? And so for me, my first prayer is, is, is about caring. And those that really seem to reach the lost seem to care more about the lost. It just seems to be part of what's going on there. And then the other one is the idea of adaptability. Um, Sorry, I should have put, so I'm not looking over my shoulder all the time with this. But So Paul, writing to the Corinthian church, says, Though I am free and belong to no one, I have made myself a slave to everyone, to win as many as possible. To the Jews, I became like a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law, so as to win those under the law. To those not having the law, I became like one not having the law, although I am fr- not free from God's law, but I'm under Christ's law, so as to win those not having the law. To the weak, I became weak to win the weak. I've become all things to all people so that by all possible means I might save some. I do all this for the sake of the good news, for the gospel that I may share in its blessings. In other words, Paul is saying he pushes the boundaries of what is perceived to be okay, pushes the boundaries without compromising on his morality or his spirituality. He's going to push the boundaries (laughs) to get this gospel to those that don't know it. He would have been really upsetting some people, wouldn't he? He would have been the religious bods, the ones who thought that they had to keep the minutiae of the law and and add bits to it, those that were on the more pharisaical end of the spectrum. Um, They wouldn't have liked what Paul was doing. You know, and then those that have now found the gospel and realize they don't need the law, they don't like it when Paul is still going into the temple and shaving his head and doing whatever else he does to sort of satisfy his Judaistic identity. They're not going to like that either, but he's going to do it anyway. <laughs> and it seems to me that, 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 you know, there's another question I would love to explore here, that, you know, what does church look like for an evangelist? Because what I found is that those who really reach the lost are the ones who push, push the buttons ask the questions that pastors don't want asked. <laughs> they don't make life uncomfortable for the pastors because they bring in people that are more complicated than we need them to be, uh, who, who, who encourage us to think outside the box more. You know, I was with um, uh, a guy the other day, and one of, uh, this uh, Asian friend of mine, he, he, he was saying that in his, where, where he'd been working, church work, you know, um, doing some training in, in this particular place, with a group of pastors and leaders there. And, you know, the question that he gets again and again in those contexts is, um, is it okay for a Christian <laughs> to have multiple wives, you know, in a polygamous environment? And I know that's true for a lot of the world, so it's a real question. What would you say to that? <laughs> How would you answer? It's, it's, it's Quite frankly, there are, it's not... It's not a straightforward question. Of course, it's not right, bottom line. But there's a lot of other issues involved. And I have to say, I'm not going to get into it now. But what I'm just trying to make the point is, is that people come 
with different issues. We have loads of issues in our society today, don't we, where, where people bring to the door of their, you know, as they enter into the kingdom, a whole load of complicated stuff. And, and how much are we prepared to meet them where they're at or bring them forward in Christ? We want people all neat and tidy is what I'm saying, really. And how much are we prepared to identify with other people in a way that religious people don't like <laughs> in order to be able to help people find Jesus was called a friend of sinners, wasn't he? But he wasn't ever a sinner. <laughs> but he was prepared to be identified with them for the sake of the gospel in a way that upset so some, there is something about the, evangel- the, the way that we have to be if we want to reach people with the good news that sometimes we feel like pushing the boundary. We call that adaptability and flexibility. Okay. I love this little quote by Colin Dyer, who's a church leader in London. Every church group, stream, denomination seems to have its own preferred method of evangelism. Some emphasize large-scale evangelistic preaching. Others highlight the role of signs and wonders. Others stress the importance of social action. And others speak only of friendship evangelism. I think we should seek to win the lost by every means possible. Okay. I think what I'm going to do is jump now to, I want to think about, Oops, did I keep going? Things stopped working. Uh, can you jump, uh, Moses, if that's all right? Things not working, sorry. Can I move forward? I could talk about these ones, these, but I've only got time. So can you go to the next one? Sorry, folks. Well, as, as whilst he's getting that to the to the right slide, okay, I want to think about four different. That's the one. That's the one I want. Yeah, brilliant. Thank you. Excellent. So I want to think about four biblical examples, okay, that might help us to think about how we approach. Because really, what I want to be doing today is to be helping us to think in real terms about what that means for us as individuals and where you're at with this. Because sometimes we can think about something, an aspect of the Christian life, and today we're thinking about sharing our faith, and you think, oh, I couldn't do that. That's for those super spiritual people over there. <laughs> That's not me. And I can't even get there. So let's think about four. Th- no, sorry, we've gone too far there now. Sorry, can we just leave it on that other? All right, sorry, there you go. Okay. Um, all right, no worries. Brilliant. Okay. So let's think first, shall we, about... Um, a I think first about a lady in Samaria, and um, well, we just have this in front of me. We're not going to read the whole passage because we don't have time. Um, in John chapter four, we read a story about a lady um, in Samaria, and um, basically, this this happened. This lady finds faith in Jesus, but it happens really because Jesus is travelling um, up towards Judea, uh, uh, sorry, from Judea to Galilee, and he takes a route that many rabbis would would not take because it would, inca- it would involve them stepping into uh, Samaria and, having, and, and they felt that that would get them, make them unclean. They didn't want to be around the, Samaris- the Samaritans who they felt were unclean people. And so, but Jesus breaks tradition there 
and chooses to go that way and ends up talking to a woman at a well. Um, again, not usual because the lady says to him, well, you know, why are you talking to me? Basically, she says, why would you talk to me? You know, you, your type of guy doesn't speak to me. Uh, and Jesus says to her, actually, and the only way that he could actually culturally in an acceptable way speak to this woman was to ask for her to give him a drink of water. And, um, and that's what he does. And, and then actually, eventually, he ends up saying to her, well, actually, I can give you more than just physical water. And he speaks to the thirst in her, the spiritual thirst in her, doesn't he? Uh, and as a result of that, they have a conversation in which Jesus addresses her spiritual questions, her questions about, the, the, about worship and what is, where is the right place to worship. And Jesus lifts out, you know, takes it to another level and says, actually, you know, you're not completely right. We're not right. It, worship spiritual first and foremost, and and, and then he talks to, uh, um, and then he tells her to go and call her husband and um, and talk to him. And she said, "Well, actually, I haven't got a husband." And he says, "Well, actually, I know really. You've had five husbands, and um, and you know um, the one you're with now is not actually not actually married to him, are you?" And 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 you know, and and as a result of that conversation, uh, she sort of like says, "Well." You know, when the Messiah comes, you know, she says, I can see you're a prophet, sir, but um, when the Messiah comes, he'll, he, you know, he'll show us everything. And Jesus says, actually, that's me. And uh, she puts her faith in, in him. And, um, and so it's a beautiful story that we love to spend a lot of time on, really. For me, it's one of the most beautiful pictures of really of how Jesus shares his faith. But, but the bit I want to just think about just for a moment now, very, very briefly, is when, <coughs> excuse me, The disciples come back, and uh, they were surprised to see him talking to this wo- the woman. Um, and uh, oh, sorry, let me just get this. So the woman left her water jar, we read, and went into the town and said to the people, "Come and see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ?" They went out of the town and were coming to him. And then um, the disciples talked to him a little bit about, you know. Why are you doing this sort of thing? And uh, he says, I've got food. Jesus, Jesus gives them a little lesson, if you like. And then we read in verse 39, it says, um, Many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them. And he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his word. And so on this occasion, what we're seeing is a woman who's new to the faith, she's barely in the door, really, and but she, she's bringing other people to Jesus um, through invitation. It's about her saying, come and see. Come and see a man who told me. It's, it's rooted in her story. It's rooted in the fact that what has happened to her, but for her at that moment in time, all she is able to do is to say, come and listen to somebody else who can make sense of what has happened to me. And in one sense, that's one form of reaching out, isn't it? We might not actually feel that able to talk about Jesus very bash, you know, even argue with people about our faith, if that's the right expression or whatever, but just that sense of invitation. Let's, let's look at another, we'll come back and just think a little bit more about it in a moment. Another story, let's, um, if you have got your Bibles and you want to turn to it, you can, in Acts chapter 8, or Acts chapter um, yeah, let's 
you know, a little story about a guy called Philip and an Ethiopian eunuch. And uh, we're going to read this story this time. We're going to read this one, and then we'll think just very briefly a few thoughts from it as well. So actually, I'm going to get you to tell me what you think of it. So now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, rise and go towards the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And as he rose and went, there was an Ethiopian, Ethiopian, a eunuch, a port official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the spirit said to Philip, go over and join the chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet, and read it, uh, ran to him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, do you understand what you are reading? And he said, how can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the passage of, this, now the, passage of the scripture that he was reading was this. Like a lamb he was led to the slaughter, and like a lamb before its shearers is silent. So he opened not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? From his from, for his life is taken away from the earth. And the eunuch said to Philip, about whom, I ask you, does the prophet say this? About himself or about someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, See, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop, and they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they came out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away. So what would you say on this occasion? Um, is the way, is the means, if you like, the method that we see Philip employing in helping this Ethiopian eunuch to find Christ. Don't worry about getting it wrong. Just like, just your thoughts. He was encouraged. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Sorry. Prophetic. Sorry. God told him to go there. Okay. Yeah. Anyone else? Explaining. Yeah. So that was a big part of this, wasn't it? Philip explaining to the eunuch what he was reading. Sorry, listening. Listening. Question. He answered the man's question. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, the dominant thought here, which we've got a couple of times coming out here, is on this occasion, we see um, Philip converting with the Ethiopian eunuch. The eunuch's got questions. He sits, he talks to him about it. He reasons it out. And, um, and on this occasion, um, there, I mean, there are some other bits to this as well that I just think are worth noticing as well, is that Philip listens to the Spirit of the Lord, doesn't he, as well? The Spirit of the Lord said to him, go over here, stay over there. <laughs> now, I know you could get a bit neurotic about that one, you know, go and stand in places, oh, has God spoken to me? But nevertheless, there, is, there are times when we're prompted by God, aren't we, just to go to a certain place or to a certain person or to, or to ring someone or to text someone at a given moment. There's that prompting, and, and that, that is part of helping, of being there in the moment, of following the leading of the Holy Spirit in guiding us to be in the right place at the right time. And if you've ever been experienced that, being in the right place at the right time, think, whoa, <laughs> that's awesome. But the, the main thing I want us to see here is on this occasion, we see 
um, this conversational approach. And for some of us, that's where we're really in our element, sitting down and somebody says, well, I read the Bible once and this really confused me. We say, well, actually, have you looked at it like this? <laughs> and then we talk about it. You know, Alpha is a classic example of the way that that really works well, isn't it? But And some of us, that's what we really find. Uh, that would be the area that I would probably feel most comfortable. Oh, we've gone too far with that slide, but there we go. I've given the game away. No, you can, you can leave it there now. It's up there, isn't it? So don't worry. Um, the other is, uh, the next story would be, um, let's, which one should we go to? Acts 6. We can think about the, the, um, the church in Jerusalem are finding that um, they're... Uh, the Hebraic, actually, if we can go back, so otherwise we'll just sit, you'll just sit there staring at that thing and you won't engage with the story, will you? Go on, thank you. Well done. <laughs> Cheers. Um, so the, the, Jerus- the church in Jerusalem, they um, find that the Hebraic, sorry, the, um, the Gentile, um, the non-Jewish uh, widows are being overlooked in the distribution of food and they have this discussion about what they're going to do about that. And, um, and so they ask, the, ask people to uh, recommend um, seven um, uh, godly men to sort of administrate the giving. And, and what we read as we get to the end of that little passage is that as a result of that, that many people are finding uh, faith in Christ. And let me just get rid of that word in. And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. Uh, and we could think about Dorcas, so we don't actually explicitly say that people became Christians, but a lady called Dorcas who made clothes for the poor, and, and as a result, you know, the, the commu- so there is a sense in which sometimes the sharing of our faith is, is, is about practical assistance, isn't it? It's about journeying with people through their, their life and, and, and helping them in practical ways. Um, and then just one other story that we might want to notice is, the one that we probably naturally always think about when we think about evangelism, that we went back to the beginning. It's like the examples of, of like Philip when he goes down to Samaria in, in Acts 8. And uh, he's attracting large crowds and there's lots of miracles and he gets up and he preaches. And, uh, or the classic one is Acts 2 where um, Peter stands up on the day of Pentecost and basically makes sense of what is happening. And there's this great sermon in which he explain he talks to them about what has been happening around them so it's a cultural sermon it's talking into events that are happening and then bringing some understanding to that and and then giving people opportunity to respond and we see that on that occasion three thousand people uh give their lives to uh to christ just on that one day and of course we all love that that that's often what we um uh, think of when we think of we can think about Paul in Athens as well. You know this preaching in a public space and seeing lots of people become Christians. And um, and so if we can go to the next slide now, that that would be all right um, if that's okay. Um, sorry. So I've, I've, those those four thoughts come from this rather complicated looking diagram. You don't, I, I can print these out or send email it to you if you like. But just those four areas that we're thinking about here is, and I purposely did the convince the last, um, because that's the, probably the epitomized by let me tell you. (laughs) The person who gets up and says, I've got something to tell you. Um, And, uh, you know, we might include things like street preaching and stadiums and all that sort of stuff. Some of us, it's more about conversing. 
and that's this, that's epitomized by let's discuss and dialogue. Um, and we like the idea of discussing things. The investor, the let's walk together. And people in that realm, I think, are often tempted to not actually see that as evangelism. But actually, sometimes it's the most powerful. It's the person who cares for another individual in the last stages of their life and helps them find Jesus before they pass on. It's the person who who serves in a food bank and helps somebody just practically overcome a traumatic period in their life. It's the person who just walks the journey on a one-to-one and just shows the love of Jesus to somewhere in that somebody's the invite. So of course that's there's there's other we could think about that in other words. There's lots of permeations in that. But all I'm trying to get at today is to think about the idea that the sharing of the gospel is not just about standing on a street corner and preaching. It's not just about having to be a professional Bible teacher. It's not about um, it's every one of us at different stages in our life we fit more comfortably in different parts of that. And the question I have to ask today is where would you fit in? What would be your preferred? We often think that God's going to ask us to do things that we are really uncomfortable with or that we don't want to do. And of course sometimes that is true. (laughs) That is the nature of God. He sometimes does do that. But actually the vast majority of the time I believe God wants us to work in the realm that we actually fit to do things in a way that are consistent with our personality, our approach, who he has made us to be. And I wonder whether some of us have created barriers in that whole realm of talking to people who are not believers, sharing Jesus with others, because we've thought to ourselves, I'm not that type of person. I'm not the sort of person who can stand on my head and play the tambourine with my toes. (laughs) That's just not me. But you are the sort of person who'd happily sit down and have a cup of tea with somebody who's going through a difficult moment in their life and pray with them and let Jesus start to do his work in their life. And alongside that as well is is another thought that I need to put in here today is that you also just, sometimes we need to just reconcile that we're a link in a chain. You know, you, just because you're not the person to lead somebody to Jesus doesn't mean you're not the influence in somebody else's life on that journey. I can think of a number of people that I met before I ever actually became a Christian who had a big impact on my life (laughs) and led me in that direction. And they don't even know that I became a Christian. They don't even know, but they had an influence on me. And I bet most of you in this room who would call yourself a follower of Jesus would have similar stories you had multiple conversations or encounters that took you in that direction. So don't undervalue your place, your your um, role in that process. So if we could just check one more slide, if that's okay, well, uh, Moses, if you don't mind. One more, keep going, keep going, I'll keep telling them to stop. Um, that's it, that one, just stop there. In all of those encounters that we saw there, or those different stories, I think we see these three elements in there as well. That, and that's what we've always talked about when we talk about how do we share the gospel. We share the gospel with words, works, and wonders. That might mean, you know, those three elements are all there in one moment, or they're not, you know, that we, we share the gospel. There is a sense to the gospel where you have to explain what it means. There comes a point where words are necessary. The gospel does involve repentance and faith. It involves 
turning around from your own life and choosing to follow Jesus. It turns, it involves saying, I'm not going to live like I used to live, and I'm going to trust in Jesus for the future. But sometimes to get to that place, people need you to work with, with them, support them, a little bit of work. And sometimes it does need a little bit of just looking after the car as well. <laughs> it just demonstrating trust, you know. I've said enough, really, and I've struggled to know how to finish this message today, really, if I'm really honest with you. Um, I've thrown a lot of thoughts out there and a lot of things. But this is really where I want to finish, and I've already mentioned this, but I'd like to just finish at this point, really, is to, is to invite you to say to yourself, to think this week, spend some time, just chewing it over as you're doing, going about the, you know, the, the whatever you do in, in the hour before the week, thinking, where am I at in this whole thing? sharing my faith with Jesus? Do I run from it? Is it terrifying? Is it something I just don't want to do? And if that is your thought, then let me encourage you to just explore that inquiry. Think about it. Why Why am I like that? Is it that I've set the bar too high? And actual fact, I am doing it. And you might even, in that process, discover that you are doing it more than you think. <laughs> You're doing it more than you think. As you're thinking about that, it might be that you think, well, actually, I don't really know what I would say. And maybe the challenge for you today is for you to, to deal with that, to sort of find out how you would lead somebody to Jesus. What is it you would need to do to help somebody step over the line into the kingdom of God and make it your mission to find that out? But it may be that actually, as you're thinking about that, certain individuals come to mind, people that you just think, I should be good at contact with. I should follow up on that. I should do this. And, and let me encourage you to respond to that. All I would really ask you to do is this week, think about this. Just think about it. Maybe this week you need to start praying, Lord, let me pray on this. Let me pray on this. Maybe this week you need to think about how much am I willing to adapt? Who am I willing to associate with? <laughs> To, to, to let this gospel reach them? Am I prepared to be misunderstood in order to reach somebody for Jesus? And if, yeah. Lord, all I know at the moment is that we do not see enough people finding you in our context. I love the fact that some people have found you, Lord, that we see a few people becoming Christians here and there, Lord. But Lord, I know that your, your heart clear in Scripture is that you want all people to come to know you, Lord. So Lord, I pray that you will work amongst each one of us this week to do what is necessary in each one of our hearts to help us, Lord, to grow that in our capacity to share you with others. And Lord, we look to the days now for you to lead many, many people into your kingdom through the ministry of this church. Things, I accept the fact 